the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Peter. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Instead of returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, we're to be people who bless one another and just in the name of the Lord encourage one another, knowing, he says, that you were called to this. We were called to this. God calls us to be compassionate, sympathetic, loving, tender-hearted, courteous, humble, not vengeful, not insulting, but blessing others. Because he says, to this you were called, that you may inherit a blessing. Is that a fitting description of the church as you've experienced it? A people who bless, encourage, sympathize, and support each other? Sadly, if you look at many church communities, gossip, backbiting, and petty arguments tend to be much more prevalent in many cases. In today's message, Pastor Gary will challenge us to be different. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide your interactions and bear fruit in your life. As His will and desires replace yours, those good traits will become more natural. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Well, if you've been with us here for the past couple of weeks in First Peter, you will note with me that the key word uh, for the section that we're in here is harmony, where uh, Peter is writing here about the kind of harmony that we need to have in various areas of our lives. And he basically breaks it down into four areas, three of which we talked about last week. He talks about how to have harmony in the world, and he spends some time Uh, Back in chapter 2, between verses uh, uh, 13 and um, uh, 14, uh, and and, uh, through through verse 16, having to do with submission to government, that's the idea of the world, that there's no authority except that which God has established, Romans chapter 13, and so we are to respect government, we are to respect those in authority. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, we are to pray for all our kings and all of our leaders and and those in authority that we might live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So there's there's supposed to be a respect for government and for authority and for leaders. Obviously, as I mentioned last week and I touched on this past Sunday, there might be times when, in fact, civil disobedience is necessary whenever the laws of man contradict the higher law of God. We must always, as Christ followers, 
obey the higher law of God, and so it might result sometimes in some civil disobedience. But nevertheless, uh, without that, uh, there needs to be this constant uh, reminder that there are some people in authority that we need to respect. And so if, you, if we're to have harmony in the world and in our government, we are to uh, be Christ followers who respect government authority. And then also harmony in the workplace, um, the section uh, starting at verse 18 of chapter 2 down through the end of chapter 2 having to do with even the, though you might find yourself in an otherwise uh, not ideal situation, you still have to, as Paul writes in Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24, you have to serve people, work for people, do your job well as unto the Lord. That, that everything that we do is to be done as unto the Lord and that the Lord will reward us uh, for our faithfulness to him. And so there needs to be this awareness, how do we maintain harmony in in the workplace and then harmony in the home. That's where we left off last week at chapter 3, the first uh, seven verses having to do with uh, husbands and wives and how God has ordained a certain uh, structure. Uh, that's even the word submission is hupatasso, meaning an, an orderly arrangement that God has arranged things in an orderly way so that there might be harmony in the home. He calls husbands to step it up and to be loving spiritual leaders in a home. And he calls wives to understand that in times where there's a tiebreaker that they should yield that to their husband and ladies try to refrain from being the Holy Spirit in your husband's lives. I know sometimes you want us to be better spiritual leaders, but pray for us instead of trying to be the voice of the Holy Spirit. Just pray for your husbands. And, and so, and guys, step it up and be loving leaders um, and, and uh, honoring your wives. And And so Peter talks about that as well. And then there's this fourth category that we'll get to when he talks about harmony in heaven. But again, just understanding the main theme here, uh, harmony in in a musical sense is the use of simultaneous tones working together in an orderly arrangement to achieve a pleasant, unified sound or effect. We know what, what the term means musically, but the idea here biblically is that harmony assumes differences among people who are brought together in unity under a master composer. Obviously, that's Jesus. So that's the whole idea that, you know, there's going to be differences in every area. There's going to be differences among, in all of these arenas. There's going to be differences in government. We see that all the time on the news 24-7. There's a lot of differences. There's going to be differences in the workplace. There's going to be differences in the home. Um, There are differences. Wherever you have people, people are different, which is good. I mean, All of the differences add to the richness. The diversity adds to the richness of of whatever the relationship. The the key is how do we work towards harmony rather than conflict? Because our differences can sometimes uh, serve to be conflicts in our relationships rather than working together, serving one another under the leadership and lordship of Jesus so that we might really gain harmony uh, in, in these different areas. And so this is the challenge to, to all of us. We are called to live in harmony. We are called to be at peace with one another. And so here in chapter 3, uh, verse 8, which is really the verse that is the theme behind all of this, he writes this, finally, all of you be of one mind, and that's that Greek word homophron, meaning same mind or harmonious. NIV says live in harmony with one another. 
having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. So if you just look at those uh, verses there, verses 8 and 9, he basically just outlines for us in, in general terms that if we want to really be people of harmony, we need to first of all be people of one mind. Now, that, that already assumes differences again. We are different people, but the idea is that we should all be striving to share the same mind, attitudes, and thoughts of Christ. That if He truly is Lord of our lives, Lord of our homes, Lord of our businesses, Lord of everything, that wherever we have differences among us, and there are plenty, we need to strive together, even in our differences, to, to go after what is the mind of Christ on matters. What is, what is the attitude of Christ in, in a situation? Paul would write in Philippians 2 verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We should always be striving together, despite our differences, in finding out, well, what is the heart of God on this matter? What is the mind of Christ on this matter? You know, if, if he is truly Lord of our lives and our homes and our marriages and everything about us, then we should always be striving to find out what is the mind of Christ on this. Having one mind, being, being under Christ, having compassion. Circle that word in your Bible. Compassion. We're to be compassionate towards one another. Uh, love as brothers and sisters. This is phileo in, in the Greek. It is that, that brotherly love. We should be loving towards one another. Uh, to be tender-hearted is the other word there in verse eight. To be tender-hearted, courteous. Some of your translations might say the word humble instead of courteous. This is how we maintain harmony when we demonstrate these kind of attitudes: compassionate, sympathetic, loving, tender-hearted, courteous, or humble. Again, verse nine: not returning evil for evil. In other words. And NIV says, not insult for insult. Um, we are not to be vengeful. We are to leave that up to the Lord. And on the contrary, he says here, blessing. So instead of returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, we're to be people who bless one another. And just in the name of the Lord, encourage one another, knowing, he says, that you were called to this. We were called to this. God calls us to be compassionate, sympathetic, loving, tender-hearted, courteous, humble, not vengeful, not insulting, but blessing others. Because he says, to this you were called, that you may inherit a blessing. And then he adds in verse 10, and he quotes out of Psalm 34 here, for... He who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And so Peter basically is writing here saying, listen, Psalm 34, verses 12 to 16, which is basically what he's quoting here, uh, are fulfilled for righteous living. You, you want to you, you love life and see good days? He says, well, refrain your tongue from evil. How about we start there? How many of you could use a little restraint on your tongue? All right. Uh, his lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil. Do good. 
Seek peace, pursue it. So in other words, he's saying here, listen, if, if we want the blessing of the Lord, we, ha- we have to, you know, consciously be working on these things. We have to be guarding our lips and watching what we say. We have to be living lives that are honorable and glorifying to God. If we, if we want to inherit a blessing, we need to be a blessing. And so he's challenging his readers to live a life that is glorifying to God and honoring of other people. And this is important for us as believers, living our lives in a way that glorifies God and honors others. This is what he calls us to. He says, this is what you were called to. The Christian life should be characterized by these things. And then he adds in verse 13, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer, circle that word there in your Bibles, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer, there's the word again, for doing good than for doing evil. So let's pause there and just break down this section. You'll notice with me, I asked you to circle the word suffer. It appears twice in this section here. And actually the word suffer or some form of that word appears 17 times in the book of 1 Peter alone. 17 times. This is a major theme in the book of 1 Peter because if you remember in our opening of chapter 1, Peter is writing this during a time when uh, Christians are being martyred Uh, like never before. Between the years AD 64 and 67, this is when Christians under the emperor Nero, who were, the Christians who were blamed for Rome burning, uh, were were martyred. And uh, they were dying by the tens of thousands. They were being rounded up and persecuted and killed for their faith. And that's the climate, all right? And that's what's happening. And Peter writes to Christians living during this time, And he encourages them about their suffering because he says, basically, Christ has suffered for us. So be prepared for a little suffering yourselves. And he says, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, there in verse 13, you're blessed. Like God's going to take care of you. And he says, don't be afraid of their threats. Now, again, he's writing to Christians whose lives are on the line during this particular time. And he says, don't be afraid of their threats. Don't be troubled. He says, sanctify the Lord your God in your hearts. Now, the word sanctify just means to set apart as holy. So he's calling us to holy living. And we're not even living under the threat of, of, of death like they were, and, but yet they're being challenged in this way. He says, I want you, even in the face of suffering, to the point where your lives might even be required of you, to be sanctifying Christ in your heart. Set him apart as holy. Living for the Lord. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready, notice this, verse 15, to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your, you, your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. So, Let's park it here for just a minute because um, he's going to tell us here about being ready to give a defense of the faith. 
Um, and it's an important uh, point that he makes for us to be challenged in our own lives today. So he says there in verse 15 that we need to be ready to give a defense. That phrase, to give a defense, is one word in the Greek, and it's apologia. We, we get the English word apologetics. Apologetics in, in Christian terms is one who is able to give a defense of his or her faith. That's what apologetics means. We, we get the English word apology out of it too, but when we think of apology, we, we, you know, we're, we're sorry and ashamed of something. But apologetics in the truest, the strictest Greek way means that we are to um, be prepared to give in a defense for something. And in this case, in this context, the apologia, the defense, the apologetics is to be prepared to defend your faith. And what he's going to tell us here in this passage is that there are three things, and we'll just go over these three things, that are necessary if you and I want to be ready to give a defense of our faith. And the first one is a good example. A good example. And I've got questions after each of these three points that we need to ask ourselves. And the question that corresponds to point number one example is the question, is my life a good example of Christ? Because people will only ask if they notice something different, right? And this is what Peter is saying here. He says, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. The implication is there's something about your life and my life that gives reason for people to ask us. And the only reason people would want to ask us what's going on with us is if they notice something different about us. So the first key in order to really give a defense of our faith, if you and I want to be a good witness, if we want to have an an evangelistic uh, impact in people's lives, it first starts with being a good example. We have to be people who are not Christians in name only, but also in action, Because if it's name only without action, then it's hypocrisy. If we say we're a Christian, but we're not living like one, then we're not setting a good example. And people are certainly not going to want what we have because we look too much like they live. So if we offer them something as an example of Christ that is different from the life that they're living, they might be more inclined to ask us, what's the deal with you? What's going on with your life? How come when you just got that bad news, you just seem to be at peace? How come, how come you, you seem to be able to deal with things in your marriage that my wife and I aren't able to deal with, or my husband and I aren't able to, and they'll start to ask questions, like, how do you have your life together? What's, what's the deal? Because hopefully we're living a life that is a good example of Christ. The second thing that's important in order for us to be ready to give a defense of the faith, number two, is explanation. And the question with that is, am I growing in the knowledge of Scripture so that I can adequately explain what I believe. If people are going to ask us, we have to be ready to actually share something. Okay, I think it was St. Francis of Assisi who said, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. So our lives are always on display. That's the example part. But then we should also be prepared to use words. That's the explanation part. And you're, you're not going to be able to use words to defend your faith to tell people why you believe what you believe without having an adequate understanding of the Bible. Now, don't get, don't get overwhelmed by the idea that if I don't know everything from Genesis to Revelation, I won't be able to be a good witness to somebody. Trust me, 
I've been doing this full time for 32 years. I'm the first one to say, there's a lot of passages of the Bible. I don't know. I can't quote off the top of my head. Okay. That's the issue is not how much of the Bible are you prepared to answer? The issue is, are you growing in your faith such that you're able to use enough scripture to adequately communicate what you believe and why you believe so that people can have an understanding of who Christ is, how he, just the basics, who Christ is, that he died for you on a cross, that he loves you, that he opened the way to heaven for all who would believe and receive, that it's a free gift that God gives us, that if we accept him by faith, we can be forgiven, we can go to heaven. I mean, the simplicity of the gospel shouldn't be overcomplicated. But we have to at least be growing in our faith enough to be able to adequately explain what we believe and why we believe it. And then number three, it it also goes hand in hand with all of this, and that's expression. And the question is, am I careful to express myself? And these are the words that, that Peter uses here, with meekness. Some of your translations say gentleness. With fear. Some of your translations say respect. And with a good conscience. So as we ex- you know, as we express ourselves and our faith, we need to make sure that we're not coming across in some arrogant, abrasive, judgmental way. In other words, Peter's calling us to be a good witness, to be prepared to give an answer for all those who ask us. But when we do, when we explain it, make sure we're doing it with meekness, gentleness. Make sure we're doing it with fear or respect for people. Make sure that we're doing this out of a good conscience, that there's not hypocrisy in any of this, so that others might come to know Christ in the same way. And he adds there, if they defame you, if people say malicious things against you or about you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ, you know, if you just continue to just live your life faithful to the Lord, let people say what they might. Uh, In the end, they'll probably be ashamed of saying what they do about you because your good conduct will prove your integrity. For if, he says, for it, in verse 17, is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Verse 18, for Christ also suffered, here's the same theme, once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, we'll talk about this in a minute, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. So let me just touch on that last verse, and then we'll go back up and talk about what in the world does all that mean. That last verse there about how Christ has gone into heaven, where angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him, that's the fourth one on our list about the order of harmony. There's also order in heaven. 
And the same word here to be subject to is hupatasso, meaning there's, there's an order of submission in heaven. The angels and authorities, they are under submission to the lordship of Jesus, who now presently is in heaven, seated at the right hand of God. But what is all this other stuff here that he talks about? Christ suffered once for our sins. We get this, right? Died on a cross, paid the price for us. And then it talks about in verse 19 that he also went and preached to the spirits in prison. I didn't know Jesus had a prison ministry. What is the, What in the world is this talking about? What? First Peter 1, 3 through 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Wow! Imagine that, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. This inheritance isn't subject to taxes or diminished by inflation. God is keeping this inheritance for everyone who lives by faith in His Son. There is so much great news wrapped up in just these few verses. Imagine what the rest of the book will contain. Pastor Gary Hamrick is working through the rich, encouraging book of 1 Peter in this series on Cornerstone Connection. Cornerstone Connection is a ministry out of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you on a Sunday morning or Wednesday evening. For more information, including location and service times, head over to cornerstoneconnection.cc. Once again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. Well, we're out of time for today, but we'd love to see you here next time for more from Pastor Gary on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.